make a book recommendation. I was just thinking about this, but, um, you know, if you've ever been to a country that, I mean, just the idea of turning on a, a spigot, and we have the ability to drink that water. I just used the word spigot, didn't I? Does anybody, like, who is, I don't know, that's what I call it, a spigot. But uh, you turn on a spigot, and you just drink the water, um, and don't even think about it. And the reality is, I, I spent a number of years in Guatemala, back and forth, and the very first thing that they do when you get off the plane is they hand you a water bottle. Because you can't even remotely, you can't brush your teeth with the water. Uh, that's just kind of the situation. And I also got sick a number of times because I didn't follow the rules. But uh, I want to encourage you, there's a book called The Hole in Our Gospel. It was written by a guy named Richard Starnes. Richard Starnes was the CEO of World Vision for a number of years, and in it he tells a story about his first encounter, essentially in a third world country, and uh, it's really a transformative book, the whole in our gospel. Don't worry, it's a really thick book, but there's a bunch of pictures right in the middle, and uh, I want to encourage you to check that out. It's a fantastic, fantastic book that really speaks into uh, the ministry of World Vision and why this is such an important endeavor, so I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to read for you a passage of scripture. I'm going to be nice to you since you're all going to be training for a marathon and I'm not going to make you stand. How about that? I'm not even going to make you read the words on the screen because they're not going to be there. I'm just going to have you listen to John chapter 5 verses 1 through 17. After this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which is five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said this to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse might happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Uh, I want to start this morning by talking to you about tacos. So, <laughs> tacos, T-A-C-O apostrophe S. And so, um, I love tacos. If you were to walk up to me and ask me, Richard, do you want a taco? It solicits a one-word response. That question is a one-word an one answer kind of a question. The answer is always yes. Now, I have to be really careful. Uh, in my last church, 
I made the mistake of telling everybody, and it's quite obvious, that I love Little Debbie Swiss cake rolls. So at every birthday, at every opportunity, at every church gathering, at any, any opportunity people had, they'd go buy a box of Swiss cake rolls because this didn't happen by accident, okay? So I, I'm telling you this because I don't want gift certificates for tacos. I don't need more tacos. You, if, you, if the question was, Rich, do you need more tacos, I'd be tempted to say yes. The answer is no. But ultimately, if you said, Rich, do you want a taco? The answer is always yes. It's a one-word answer. Yes. Now, I'm being facetious and trying to be funny. Trying. Uh, But the bottom line is, this man in this situation with Jesus, uh, he asks this paralyzed man in our passage a one-word response kind of question. That's what it is. But as we see, he doesn't get that. He doesn't get this one-word response. Last week, we started this Encounters with Jesus uh, series, and uh, the premise of this series really is that every single encounter that we have with Jesus always leads to some kind of a decision. Every encounter with Jesus leads to a decision. So when your story is going along and it intersects with Jesus' story, or there's something that brings you together with him, there's always going to be a decision that needs to be made, always. And uh, we're going to begin by seeing some of these decisions of scriptures we make our way towards Easter. Speaking of uh, Easter, it's coming sooner than, than later. <laughs> it's coming, it's like right around the corner. So really quick, I just want to share with you, uh, you'll see it on the screen, the times for the Easter services. Be thinking about when you're going to participate. Be thinking about who you're going to invite. There's an Easter egg hunt the day before. We need candy. We need candy. I don't need candy. Rich, do you need candy? The answer is no. It's a one word response. But uh, there's boxes out front, there's a bucket out, out there, we have 15,000 eggs. We have the eggs, we need candy, wrapped candy. So uh, I want to encourage you to bring those with you, but uh, be praying about Easter, the opportunity's coming. But today, today we're talking about this encounter with this paralytic man, and this is actually two encounters that take place, which means there's two decisions that are made in this passage of scripture that we're looking at. And uh, the first decision, we're just going to jump right in, the first decision that we have when your story intersects with Jesus is just say yes. Just say yes. When Jesus comes along to you and says something like, do you want to be well? You just say yes. Uh, If you walked up to a couple that was in marital crisis and said, you know, do you want help in your marriage? The reasonable, rational response in that moment, considering the vows that we make to one another, right? The, The natural answer is yes. Yes. Or Jesus came up to somebody that's just struggling in addiction and said, do you want to help getting on the other side of that? Do you want to be free from that ruling your life? It would seem like the logical, rational answer is yes. Just one word. Yes. In our story, Jesus walks up to sick and disabled people at a pool of water. Now, the pool at Bethesda, the alleged issue with that pool is the water would get stirred up. An angel or a spirit would show up and stir the water, allegedly. And, and basically, the, the theory was if you were the first one in the pool, whatever you were struggling with would be taken away. You'd be healed. And so this is a, it's actually a horrible scene. I hear pool at Bethesda, and that sounds like a resort. Um, it's not. It's not. This is a, this is a horrible, horrible situation. And, and as I mentioned last week, if you found yourself 
with an illness or if you found yourself with some kind of a disability, you were nobody in that society. Most of the time, it, it was a shame-based society. It must have been something you did. That's why this has happened to you. This is why you're sick. This is why you're paralyzed. Maybe your parents sinned and that's why this is your situation. That was just kind of the culture. And so you were kind of discarded. There was no value to you if you found yourself in the situation that the people at the pool at Bethesda found themselves in. So you have this scene where you have this mass of humanity, this, this group of sick, lame, dirty, broken people who are waiting for hours, weeks, and as we see here, even years for this misdirected opportunity to be the first ones in the pool hoping that there's going to be some kind of a healing, hoping to be made well. Now, I, I need to take a side note because this is really telling. This scene uh, of need, of destitution, brokenness, that, that whole scenario is taking place literally in the shadow of the temple. It's taking place in the shadow of the temple in Jerusalem, the center for religious life, for spiritual life, for their culture, everything. All of this is taking place in the shadow of that. So Jesus, he's a, he's a good Jew, so he's shown up in Jerusalem because there's some kind of a festival, there's a Jewish festival going on at the temple in the temple courts. And so there's going to be good music, there's going to be a worship celebration, there's going to be good food, there's going to be all kinds of different things going on, reconnecting with relatives and friends, uh, you know, participating in the tenets of the faith. All these different things are going to be going on. This is the festival that Jesus is going to, but where do we see Jesus? He's in the shadow of the temple. He's not in the temple. He's not even in the courts of the temple. He's in the shadow of the temple. And that's very telling. So lock that, lock that in for a second. What does he do? He heads straight towards one person and asks a simple question. Do you want to be well? It is this total Captain Obvious moment. Okay? I mean, why else would the guy be at the pool? Why would he be there? And the scene would have been really, really hard to watch. A mass of humanity. We don't know what stirred the water, but when the water stirred, I mean, all of a sudden what you would hear is a scrambling and rustling as all of a sudden bodies are climbing over one another, trying to be that first one into the pool, living for this misplaced hope that this would be their moment. And, and make no mistake, the reality is, is the pool of Bethesda was an end. It was not a beginning. There was no place else for these people. This was the end. Okay. To ask a man who's at that situation, hey, you want to get well? It kind of sounds cruel, at least um, patronizing to a certain extent, until you get to verses 5 and 6. Okay, so we don't know if he's been there the whole 38 years, but evidently he was some kind of a fixture there. Because it was known that he'd been there a long, long time. He'd been at the pool for a long, long time. And we don't want to read too much into it, okay? But the question that Jesus asks starts to get some teeth at that point. When you start to realize how long he's been there. Uh, and the reality is, is all of us need help in some area. All of us need Jesus to touch some area in our life and say, hey, let's talk about that. Do you want to be well? We all have those uh, maybe even today Jesus is going to come to you and ask you one of those one-word response questions. And the answer is either yes or no. Yes or no. 
But when the source of all hope asks you if you want help to be made well in that area to experience change, the question is, what decision are you going to make? How are you going to respond? Our man, after 38 years, didn't answer the question. What do you do? He tells a story. I think that's really interesting. He doesn't answer the question. He tells a story. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say that this man's biggest issue is not physical. And I know that sounds really, really harsh. Uh, He is paralyzed. But I think his bigger issue is something else. And I think it's an issue of identity. Uh, Hang with me here. There, There are some people... There are some people who genuinely do not want to get well. Um, If all of a sudden the issue in their life that they're struggling with was resolved, they wouldn't know what to do because they become so identified with whatever that thing is in their life. To be well, to, 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 to deal with that would force new ways of living. If all of a sudden that thing, that identifier, was gone out of my life, I'd have to come up with new storylines. I'd have to live in a new reality. And as backwards as it sounds, there's a familiarity in brokenness. There really is. Sometimes it gets us attention. Sometimes it becomes that, that thing becomes so engaged into who we think we are that we don't know what life would be like if we didn't have it. Okay? And if it was taken away, all of a sudden a source of our attention gets taken away. In a real way, a source of our story gets removed. Then what are we left with? Now, I wouldn't say this if I hadn't seen this all the time. Somebody comes with an unresolved issue in their life, and when you offer uh, help, do you want to be well? Here are the tools. Here are the instruments of grace that God wants to put into your life. Here's what can take place. It becomes clear that ultimately it's not about being well. It's not about being well. It's about reinforcing an identity of being unwell, all the reasons for the unwellness. Okay? It's almost easier to be in pain than have an identity and have that identity and, and be noticed than risk healing and not be noticed anymore. Stuck in a pattern of unhealth and even sin. Even sin. The number of people who have come to me and probably the number of times I've done it, if we were all going to be completely honest, where somebody has offered me a solution to this thing in my life and ultimately I didn't really want to fix it. I just wanted somebody else to tell me, yeah, you're right, that really stinks. I'd feel that way too. We look for people and we put people around ourselves and we gather people around ourselves who reinforce that story. So if all of a sudden, if somebody showed up and put their finger on it and said, hey, that thing, the obvious thing, that's a part of who you are and your story, do you want to be well? Do you want to go on the backside of that? All of a sudden, we tell the story. We don't answer the question. And for this man, his answer is a reinforcement of his story. Being left out, cast aside, marginalized. You have to ask, did he really want his story to change? Now, and for the record, and I will tell you this, even good things, even good things can be the thing that Jesus wants to deal with because sometimes in the good things we misplace our identity. We build our lives on those things. For my entire young life, it was just assumed that music was my future. That was the assumption. Uh, My identity was music. I mean, there's no getting around it. And I loved the attention that it got me. I loved the influence it got me. When I got into high school, 
it took two seconds for me to realize girls dig a man who can sing all right so all of a sudden I'm like yeah this this works out pretty good all right so everything in my life it was my little kingdom of music that I was building for myself but the reality is is it started to threaten my ability to become what God was calling me to become and then in a kind of wrestling match of sorts Jesus touched that area of my life and said do you want to be well can I translate that do you want your story or do you want my story for you that's hard it's hard I knew music I saw life through the lens of music in fact a lot of people saw me through the lens of music I was so entrenched and intertwined with music so to simply say yes meant entering into something I had no this this business here yeah uh-uh not even on the radar not a part of the rich Doring grand plan for the world this 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 wasn't a part of the the ingredients okay it never would be if I would have let Jesus touch that area of my life and help me answer that question and I want to tell you I've never regretted saying yes I've never regretted saying yes so what area of your life is Jesus asking if you want to be well in do you want to be well something that's trying to create an identity for you God never desired for you to have now, I want to be clear this man did have a physical illness he had he had a problem okay I don't want you walking out of here thinking man he's kind of a jerk um, I'm not the worst person in the world okay he did have a physical problem and we believe in healing we believe God can heal in, in all kinds of different ways, and we'll address that at some point. But today, I think it's important to see that Jesus is dealing with more than just being made physically well. He's addressing something bigger here. This man had been in this situation for a long, long time. Now, there's a place on your outline for you to put something down. Um, maybe it's self-esteem. Maybe it's a relationship. In fact... I can guarantee you that every single one of us can probably put some relationship down on that line where God's saying you want that to be well <laughs> you want some health in that situation uh, maybe it's a hurt maybe it's a hang-up maybe it's a habit do you want to be well what would your answer be uh, and kind of a secondary decision along with saying yes I want to be well is then taking advantage of the things that God puts into your life so that that will happen and I can guarantee you 100% that one of the things that God will use to fulfill that yes answer for you is people. I can guarantee it. It's people. In fact, if you've not met Philip and Ruby Peters, uh, they just started a life group with openings. There's openings in their life group. If you are serious about answering that question with a yes, do you want to be made well? Yes. If you're serious about that, they have an absolute amazing story. And they're looking for other people to join them, as are other life groups right now with openings. Whatever the issue, say yes, and then walk into what God desires for you and puts into your path. Okay, will it be hard? Yes. Will it be easy? No. Will it be worth it? Ask people like Philip and Ruby, or anyone else for that matter that has let God touch that place in our lives that needs to be well.
The answer is always yes. It's scary sometimes. The answer is always yes. Now, I mentioned that there's two decisions. There's two encounters, so that means there's two decisions that we see in this passage. The first one's obvious. We just talked about it. Uh, the second one involves another group of people entirely. So bear with me if it feels like we're totally going in a different direction right now. But that's what I see in this passage. The second involves this other group, and the decision is not to let religiosity, that is a word, I looked it up. Do not let religiosity stand in the way of grace. I can't, uh, I can't not talk briefly, okay, about an overarching theme that I see in this passage, mostly because of the ramifications for people like us, okay? Uh, in a few short weeks, we're going to gather in this room and online, and we're going to be together for a Good Friday service. Um, Good Friday did not happen in a vacuum. There were a series of things that happened that built up to the death of Jesus Christ. It didn't just happen on a Friday. This situation that we're looking at right now in this moment is just one of those things that paved the way for ultimately Jesus Christ to die on the cross and for them to take him and murder him. This is one of those moments. Why? So Jesus heals a guy. He does. He just looks at the paralyzed guy. The guy's paralyzed. Looks at the paralyzed guy. Get up, pick up your mat, and go. Just walk. And so the guy does. I think what's interesting, too, he doesn't even know it's Jesus. Okay? It's just some guy that shows up and says, do you want to be well? Okay. Pick up your mat and walk. So he does. He does this. Uh, so he walks, and follow me here, he walks then out of the shadow of the temple, and then he walks into the view of the eyes of those who run the temple. So you have this in individual who's been healed by Jesus, picks up his mat, he walks out of the shadow of the temple into the seeing eyes of those that run the temple. The problem with that is Jesus just starts messing with the church. Um, to be acceptable to God in that culture, the religious leaders had established 613 rules for being acceptable to God. If you, if you wanted to be acceptable to God, you got to keep these 613 rules. 365 of those rules were what I would call don't do that kind of rules. Hey, don't do that. Okay, 365. They did one for every single day of the year. How nice. But that's the situation. Um, you know, one for every day. And ultimately, all of these rules did something very, very specific. They broadcast to the world who was in and who was out. That's what those rules did. One of those rules that even had a bunch of sub-rules kind of attached to it was that you could not work on the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. You're not allowed to work. And all of the, you couldn't like cut an apple. You couldn't, I mean, there's just a million things that you couldn't do because they'd be like, I think that's work. I think that's work. And you could not pick up your mat and walk because carrying something meant you were working, okay? Evidently, they didn't have anything better to do. I don't know. But that, those are the rules that they're coming up with. So they see this guy walking through their business, and he's carrying this mat. And evidently, he's a known guy. 
Because he's been paralyzed and, and he's been at this pool in the shadow of the temple this whole time. He walks through carrying this mat and they absolutely freak out. They absolutely go bonkers. Okay? The point is, is the establishment couldn't handle this when they saw this fixture strolling through their business, their little kingdom. And, and he's working. And to make it worse, when they found out that it was Jesus, who they'd already been hearing about, who told him to do it, that made them even more angry. It just added to their list of things to hold against him that built up to what we see happen on, on Easter weekend, on Good Friday. Now, honestly, I mean, let's, let's just talk about the thing that I think is just the most obvious thing. The elephant in the room is these people miss the fact that there's a paralyzed dude walking in front of them. They missed it 100%. It didn't fall in line with the thing that they cared about. Their focus was on it, how it messed up their church stuff. That's what their focus was on. In fact, I go so far as to say this. The question, do you want to be well, wasn't only for the physically paralyzed. It was also for the religiously paralyzed. Jesus deliberately, and it made him so mad, he deliberately violated this humanistic, self-preservationist religion that had grown up around the Sabbath, this gift that God had given us. He, he dismantled it, and, and many people thought, you know, that's how we learn God's favor, earn God's favor. Conveniently, only some people seem to always qualify. Jesus was inaugurating this kingdom for all, not just some. Not just some. And as we'll see in a few weeks, when you mess with church stuff, people tend to kill you. Uh, I'm being facetious, but let's be honest for a second. How often do we, in the mechanics of maintaining what we want, our religiosity, do we fail to see the Messiah in the shadow of the temple? Because we're so consumed with this, this. How often do we miss what's going on in the shadow of the temple? 67,500 people live within five miles of the, the shadow that this steeple above my head casts. 67,500 people. 20% of those marriages face stressors that lead to divorce. The national average, 16%. 16%. In our shadow, 29, this is crazy, 29% of the people that live within five miles of this location are at risk for opioid dependence. 20, that's almost a third of all of them, 29%. 25%, again, this blew my mind. These are real stats. 25% lack high-speed internet. And in this day and age, that means there's some services that are unavailable to you. They lack high-speed internet. Over 16%, again, five-mile radius, live in poverty, 6% higher than the national average. 58% of Portage Towns, Township Schools' children are economically disadvantaged. 18% of Portage High School students have marked disabilities. Disabilities. Now, I could go on. This church is, quote-unquote, for the region, correct? We are for the region. Lake Station, 27%. 
27% live below the poverty line. Gary, over 15% of people do not know where their food is going to come from, have food insecurity. Or New Chicago, one-third of all residents live below the poverty line. I could go on. I could go on. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is this. Of those who profess a faith in Jesus Christ in a five-mile radius around this spot, in a five-mile radius over this spot, 64% of believers say that faith and serving others go hand in hand. That faith without works is what? Dead. Faith and serving others goes hand in hand. And real life church has a very, very rich history of entering into the shadows to bring healing, restoration, to bring wholeness. Sometimes we get a little confused, I think. Sometimes we we trade one thing for another. And I know during COVID, you know, things have changed. It's exciting when we see people enter into this room, isn't it? It's exciting. You look around the last couple weeks, there's more people present than there probably has been in a year, physically. Butts in seats, right? Can I say that? I just did. Say it again. Butts in seats. That's what we like. It feels good. Oh, butts in seats. It makes us feel like we're getting something done. I have a tendency, and this is just me personally, to think that, hey, butts in seats, that's important. But I also realize that maybe the defining factor of who we are as a church is boots on the ground. Not just what we do in here, but what we do out there in the shadow of the temple. In the shadow of the temple. And I think maybe one of the most telling things about this entire situation with this paralyzed man is that Jesus went to the people in the shadow of the temple. He didn't go to the temple. Now that's not to say that what we're doing is wrong or or Jesus isn't here with us or, or anything like that. But I do think it's very, very revealing that that's also one of the things that led to his crucifixion. He went into the shadow of the temple. I want to encourage you. There's another line on your outline. Um, Which shadow is God calling you into? What shadow? I want to pray for us this morning. Uh, As we say yes to the ways in which God wants to make us well. And I do want to encourage you. It's very easy to coast right into this room and right out of this room week after week after week. It's so easy. I think I've probably met 15% of you at this point, and I'm four weeks in. And the likelihood that you and I are going to have one-on-one in-depth conversations, I don't know what that looks like. But the bottom line is, There is more to this following Jesus than walking in and walking out, getting the dose and leaving. This is a daily walk. It's a daily surrender. And I just want to pray for us as we say yes to maybe the things that God wants to do in our lives and then take advantage of the things that God puts into our lives to help answer that question. Do we want to be well? But then also, yes to not allowing man-made divisions and self-preservation to keep us from being God's instruments of grace to those living in the shadow of the temple. Living in the shadow of the temple. I want to just tell you a side note. My family, um, my family were shadow of the temple people. 
I'm, I'm so glad that there, were, there have been, over the course of 25 years of me following Jesus, people that I've known that have reached into my family's lives. Uh, but they're shadow of the temple people. They're not people who go into the temple. They're people who think they shouldn't go in the temple because they don't have it together. They think they don't belong. And my parents, who are gone now, uh, had a couple of experiences where they came into the temple and realized it was not a place for them. Not a place for them. So you know what? <laughs> Maybe more importantly is that the people in the temple go to the shadows and build relationships with the people in the shadows. I want to encourage you. That's kind of the burden of my heart is to get to know the lady that cut my hair this week and to get to know the neighbor across the street. I had to apologize because I didn't want her to think I was yelling at her dog. I was yelling at mine. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to start to make those connections. The guy I was walking next to at the Y the other day and, and the person who I ate next to at Tate's the other day and all these different things. I'm trying to build those connections, trying to figure out where are the shadows of the temple. And I'm, I'm telling you this, I'm, I'm just going to start asking you to join me. Because what happens in here is important, yes. But at the end of the day, man, Jesus showed up in the shadow of the temple. In the shadow. And I don't want to miss Jesus. I don't want to miss that grace. It's amazing. Would you stand with me? It may be today, too, that God's crowding out the voice that says the marathon is for somebody else <laughs> and not for me. There's a meeting up here, right up here in this corner with Josh uh, afterwards. I want to encourage you, if God's speaking to your heart at all, you're not necessarily committing to sign up, but you might walk out of here with a shirt. I don't know. No, I, I, I don't know. But, but uh, hey, I want to encourage you. Be open to what God wants you to do. I feel like I just spanked everybody, including myself. I just want you to know I love you. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the journey that we're on. And I'm excited to see what Jesus is doing and, and be a part of what he's doing. So can we pray? Father, we just love you today and we thank you so much for your love for us. And the reality is Jesus came. He entered into our drama. He entered into our mess. He entered into our shadows. And he met our deepest need which is the forgiveness of our sins. So, Father, you're just asking us to be like Jesus. So would you help us? And, Father, in a, in a very real way, I do know that there are a lot of hurts. There's a lot of pain in this room. Uh, there's relational pain. There's emotional pain. There's, there's family pain. There's all kinds of different things that are going on in our lives. And, and I do know that maybe in a very gentle way, you might come along and put your finger on those things and say, do you, do you want to be well? Sometimes the steps that you lay out for us, they're uncomfortable. Uh, it's hard. But we want to be free. We want to have joy. We want to experience your grace and be a part of your grace. So, Father, would you give me boldness to, to answer with a yes and then trust that you have me and that you can make it come to fruition. I pray that for all of us today. Father, help us to really truly be your church this week. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, God